Father, we do uh, uh, come to this situation we're in, and, and uh, Lord, it is a, a strange place that we're in. It almost seems that, that we're living in a God-forsaken world right now. Uh, Lord, and more than ever, we have to uh, trust in you and, and lean not on our own understanding, Lord, uh, because we don't know what's going to happen when when uh, all of this, uh, uh, these home, stay-at-home orders and uh, these, these limits we have on meeting, all of these things are lifted. Lord, we don't know what's going to happen, and we are going to have to trust you. We don't know what's going to happen to our economy. But, Lord, we, no matter how forsaken this world seems, Lord, we know that wherever we're at, that you're there with us, that, that you haven't forsaken any place on this earth. And that we can trust you, that, that uh, you're with us, and that uh, because you're with us, you're going to prosper us. Maybe not so much materially, Lord, but definitely spiritually. And that's what we see in the life of Joseph, and, and that's what we're going to learn through this, this lesson that we're going to look at today. Or maybe be reminded of it. Maybe we already know that, Lord, and we've kind of forgotten it because we live in such a, a seemingly God-forsaken time. So, Lord, we know you're there, and we can trust you, and... Lord, just, just, just help us to, to sense your presence now as we go to your word and, Lord, as we look at this story. And, Lord, there's just so much application for, for us here. Uh, if you'll anoint this by your spirit, Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll receive that blessing of, of, of knowing you're there. And, and we just thank you for that uh, in advance. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. You know, I love to take trips to places like the Grand Canyon. Uh, I like to get on my motorcycle and, and go to the Smoky Mountains and uh, maybe uh, over to the Ozarks and uh, maybe down to Florida. And, and I, I love those kind of places because when you look at those vast landscapes of God's creation, I mean, you can't help but sense his presence when, when, when you're in a place like that. But then you travel home and you you, you cross over onto the swamp bridge and the love bugs start battering away at your windshield and, and uh, you get out of the car and you're eaten up by either gnats or mosquitoes and, and uh, then you look at the lamppost at night and there's these swarms of Formicin termites and, and uh, Formosan termites and, and uh, man, you wonder, is God anywhere to be found here? Uh, then you look at our state, the state of Louisiana, I mean, we're like, we're like, 50th in, uh, uh, are actually first in the highest crime. We have the highest crime rate per capita in the United States of America. We rank 49th in education. Our economy, uh, the, the GDP ranks 50th among uh, the other states. And so, so you would kind of wonder, Lord, where are you at? Uh, uh, we we, we look at the impact that this coronavirus has had on our state. And, and out of all the states, we've had the fourth, uh, we rank fourth in the number of deaths. And so, uh, I mean, Florida and Texas won't even let us drive over there unless we agree to be quarantined for 14 days. And then you look at the oil business, which is the in- engine that, that pretty much runs this economy. And, and uh, the oil business is in shambles right now. And so if someone was looking from the outside they could easily make the case that we live in a God-forsaken place. Uh, 
But they would be wrong. And let me tell you why they would be wrong. Because we have crawfish. We have Mardi Gras. Uh, we have king cake. I mean, there are a lot of good things. We have a Roman Catholic church on every street corner in, in Louisiana. And so we can't be God forsaken. You know, I, that's really not the reason they're wrong. The reason they're wrong is we're going to see in the lesson today. There is no place on this earth that is God forsaken. I've been with tongue in cheek kind of picking on Louisiana, but but you can travel. Uh, if you travel around throughout America, there are a lot of places that seem God forsaken. You go up to, to me, I go up to a place like New York City, it seems God forsaken. I go to a place like San Francisco, it seems God forsaken. In fact, you look at our country today, and, and our country has forsaken God. And so, so when you go just about anywhere in the United States of America today, it seems like a God forsaken place. Uh, but there's no place on earth that's God forsaken. I love what Corey Ten Boone said after in her book, The Hiding Place, after her ordeal in a Nazi death camp. She said, there is no pit so deep where God's love is, is uh, not deeper still. And that is so true. Uh, in Genesis chapter, chapter 39, as we come back to the story of Joseph, uh, he's going to find himself in a pit that, that seems so deep that it seems that God has forsaken him. But on the contrary, we're going to see as we look at this story, uh, he, God is still every bit as much with, with Joseph as he was with him when uh, he was uh, living in all the comforts of home in Hebron. And so go with me to verse number one of chapter number 39, and let's pick back up on this story of Joseph. And uh, again, looking at verse number one, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, or the Midianites, who had taken him down there. So here's Joseph. He's in a foreign land where they speak a foreign language. Uh, he's been betrayed by his brothers, and, and he's, he's hurt, and he's lonely, and he's afraid. And he sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Now, now just a little background on... Co- Potiphar, as the captain of the guard, that meant that he was a very important man because he was the one in charge of protecting uh, Pharaoh and taking care of Pharaoh's enemies. And so uh, he no doubt it was a man of some character, a man of loyalty, a strict disciplinarian, uh, probably a far man, a tough man, but a, but a fair man. And, uh, you know, probably it was a pretty good place. Actually, we know it was a good place because God placed Joseph there, but it was a pretty good place for for Joseph to land. But it still was a really tough place. We get a little more insight to this story over in Psalms chapter 105. So go with me there for a minute. Go over to the Psalms and look at 105 and come down to verse number 16. And, And we get, we actually get a lot of background here in these few verses, uh, beginning in verse number 16. Uh, look at what, how it begins there in verse number 16. It says, moreover, he, and he's speaking of, that's the psalmist is speaking of the Lord. The, moreover, the Lord called for a famine in the land. Now, who's the one that's going to bring about this famine? I want you to get this. It's the Lord is going to bring about this famine. More than likely, it was a, herd of, a, a horde of locusts or something like that that caused the f- famine, but 
But uh, it was the Lord ultimately who was in charge of it. Because look at what it says in the next part of that verse. It says, he destroyed all of the provision of bread. It was the Lord who destroyed all of the provision of bread. Maybe it was the locust, but who was behind the locust? Maybe it was the devil, but who was behind the devil? It was the Lord. We see this over and over again in Scripture. The Lord is, you know, I hear people talking about God is love. He certainly is love. That's who he is. God is gracious and merciful. That's certainly who he is. But God is also just, and God is also sovereign. And he sits on his throne. And so anything that happens in this world, at the very least, God allows it. And so uh, when you see a famine or you see a plague like we're going through right now, we've got to ask ourselves, who's in charge of it? Well, I can tell you, ultimately, God's in charge of it. I hear a lot of people saying God has nothing to do with this, but that's wrong. If he doesn't have anything to do with it, he's not God. If he can't stop it, if he wants it to stop and he can't stop it, you see, he's not God. So he's allowing this to take place, just like he allowed this famine to take place in David's day. But he, I mean, in Joseph's day. But he does it for a good purpose. He does it for a very good purpose because he is love. And so he had purpose in this famine. And, I, and, and, and what's also interesting, he also shows his mercy through his judgment. And so, so he, his mercy is going to come through Joseph. And so it says in the next part of this, uh, in verse number 17, the next part of this passage, it says, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now, now, how was he sold as a slave? By the very providence of God. But actually, by the word of God. We're going to see that in a minute. They hurt his feet with fetters. And this wasn't a cakewalk for, for Joseph. This wasn't, he wasn't going through any, this was tough times. And he's going to go through all of this over a period of 13 years. Very, 13 very tough years where if anybody looking at this story that didn't know about this story would say, man, Joseph was in a really God-forsaken place. I mean, it says, they hurt his feet with feathers, and he was laid in irons. Now, we don't know exactly uh, when he had the irons and fetters on him, but I think in all three cases he did. I mean, when the Ishmaelites took him to Egypt to sell him, he was probably in chains and fetters. When Potiphar... Uh, took him to his home to keep him from escaping. He probably had him chained up. Uh, when, he, when he goes into the prison, he certainly for a period of time was in chain. So, so he's going through a really tough time. And, and it, again, it would almost seem that he had been forsaken by God. But here's what I want you to see. Hold your place here in Psalm 105 and go back to verse number 2. Verse number 2 in chapter 39 of Genesis. It says in verse number 2, look at this. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, we don't get that just once in chapter 39. We see that four times in chapter 39. We'll see it in verse number 3. The Lord was with Joseph. We'll see it in verse number 21. Uh, But the Lord was with Joseph. We'll see it in verse number 23. The Lord was with him. And so over and over again, God is making the point that he was with Joseph. So the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Now, again, somebody on the outside sees him as a slave. Somebody sees him as a, as a prisoner later on. I mean, how would you call him a successful man? Well, he was a successful man. Because I can tell you right now, if the Lord is with you, the Lord is going to prosper you. He was prospered every step of the way because the Lord was with him. 
The Lord was with Joseph, and he was successful, a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, if, if the psalmist could call him prosperous, why then would he be in such a terrible situation? I mean, if, if God hadn't forsaken him, why would he be in the position he's in as a slave and later as a prisoner? Why could that happen to him? We'll go back to Psalm chapter 105, and we can see why there. Look at Psalm 105, down at verse number 19. Now, we talked about him having his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons until he, had a, he was going through a tough time until the time that his word came to pass until the time that the word of the Lord came to pass. What word of the Lord? Well, the word that the Lord had given Joseph in those dreams when he told Joseph that one day his family would bow down before him. And uh, until that time came to pass, he had a tough time. And, and the word of the Lord, now watch this, the word of the Lord tested him. It tried him. So here's Joseph and and uh, uh, he's being tried by the Lord. That's the reason it seems that he's been forsaken by the Lord, because he's being tried by the Lord. You know, sometimes when you feel like you've been forsaken by the Lord, i tell you what's happening. The Lord is testing you. He's testing you. If you're a child of God, he has not forsaken you. But he's testing you, just like he was testing Joseph. And look at the going on to uh, verse number 30. It says, and the king sent and released him in, until the time God was ready. Uh, he was being tested. And then the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go. That's really interesting to, be, to, interesting to be that it was by the word of the Lord that all of these terrible things happened to him. It was by the word of the Lord. I mean, the same word that said, let there be light and there was light. There was light. The same word that by... That, that, that called into creation the universe. That same word said, uh, spoke and said, uh, let Joseph's brothers betray him, and he was betrayed. By the word of the Lord, uh, uh, the Midianites sold him to Potiphar. By the word of the Lord, uh, the Lord spoke, and uh, uh, he ended up in prison. He was falsely accused, and he ended up in prison. By the word of the Lord, he was given his freedom by the king, which we see here in verse number 20. Uh, by the word of the Lord, he was made governor over all of Egypt. By the word of the Lord, his brothers came back up to Egypt. And what did they do? They bowed down before him, just as the word of the Lord was spoken in that dream. And so until that time, Joseph suffered. And uh, he suffered for 13 years. But God was testing Joseph. Now, some people say the test that he faced that that. That, that is spoken of in Psalm 105 is the test that he passed when uh, he didn't uh, receive the advances from Potiphar's wife. But I don't think that's what it's talking about at all. I think the testing that Joseph faced uh, was the testing and trials that God put him through to change him from a young man into a real man, a man of God. I mean, Joseph went into Egypt and he was an arrogant, proud a uh, little tattletale, the favorite son of his father. And, and he comes out of Egypt a, a great, I mean, he comes out of these trials a, a great leader, uh, a man of integrity, uh, one with the attitude of a, of a servant, a, a servant leader, a humble servant leader. 
So God uses all of the, used all of these tests to change Joseph into a man of God, into a great leader, a great man of God. And, and it's just a great lesson for us. The tests we might be going through now, the tests we are going to go through, maybe here in the future, uh, those tests, it, it, it's going to make us feel sometimes like God has forsaken us, but God has, and he's going to use those tests to, to, to make us more like Jesus Christ. Now go back with me to chapter 39, and let's pick up in, in verse uh, number 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. You know, there's a lesson there. If the Lord is with you, people who don't know the Lord are going to see that the Lord is with you. I mean, they can't help but see that the Lord is with you. Uh, You're different if the Lord is with you. And that the Lord made, and and if the Lord is with you, you're going to prosper. And I'm not talking so much materially, but you're going to prosper. You're going to be a prosperous person if the Lord is with you. you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Uh, It says, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, one of the ways that the Lord, we know that the Lord is with us, is that we prosper in whatever we do. And and again, not necessarily materially, but, but spiritually. Joseph wasn't getting rich. Potiphar was getting rich from Joseph's prosperity. But Joseph was being prospered himself spiritually. I mean, if the Lord is with you, that means you have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God is, is love, is kindness, is joy, is peace, is long-suffering, is patience, is goodness. And these are qualities that you don't see in people that don't know the Lord, that don't have the Lord with them. Uh, the fact that Joseph was, was uh, manifesting these qualities uh, was something that was noticeable to everybody around him. It was especially noticeable to, to, to Potiphar. I mean, he, this guy had seen a lot of slaves. He had seen a lot of prisoners, and there were n- none of them that he saw that impressed him as much as Joseph did. I mean, Joseph possessed uh, a character. He possessed the 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 fruits of the Spirit. And so uh, Potiphar knew that the Lord was with him. Then in verse number 4, coming down to verse number 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight, in Potiphar's sight, and served him. What a good attitude. You know, to be put in the kind of position that Joseph was put in and then, then serve a pagan man that that uh, was a taskmaster and master his taskmaster and and to serve him with that kind of heart uh, says a lot about Joseph. Then he made and because he did, had that attitude, Potiphar made him overseer of his house, and all that he had to, he put under his authority. Uh, so I mean, Potiphar couldn't help but see that Joseph was a man of integrity, that he was a faithful man, he was faithful to to the task and faithful to the taskmaster. And so he puts him in charge of everything. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had and that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house, not for Potiphar's sake, but for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had. And he repeats it again in the house and in the field. 
I mean, everything that Joseph did was prosper. Everything he did. And so uh, Joseph wasn't getting rich, but Potiphar was getting richer. If the Lord is with you, you are going to prosper. For sure you're going to prosper spiritually. More than likely, you're going to prosper materially. Even if you're prospering for somebody else, even if you're working in a job and and you don't own the company, uh, you're going to prosper if the Lord is with you. I go back and I I look 20 years ago when Brenda first started working for uh, uh, selling POS, uh, point-of-sale systems, uh, those things you see in a restaurant where you where they uh, run your well, restaurants aren't open right now, but when they open back up, you'll see them again. But they run your credit card through. They they uh, determine what table you sit at. They send the checks back to the to the kitchen. And and uh, she was selling those systems for what I would call maybe a third rate company uh, when she first started out. But but uh, every time she went to to uh, to to compete on a particular job. The company who had the 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 owner of the company who had the Cadillac of those POS systems noticed that she was a fierce competitor, but she also was an honest person, and and I I think he knew there something there was something really different about her, and so he hired away hired her away from that company, and and uh, and I don't know how many times he told me he said that was the best business move I ever made. He said, because everything Brenda touched turned to gold. And, and he told me, he said, I, I, I understand that, it's, that she's different, and, and that's because uh, she has faith and because that her God is with her. I don't really, he, he didn't really know who her God was, and I don't know he ever really wanted to know who her God was. But he knew there was something different about her because everything that she did in that business prospered and, and uh, because she was prospering, he was prospering, and and uh, he really, he really, he really liked that situation, and and kept her around until he he finally sold the company to to Micros, and that's where she ended up there, and she prospered there and made them a lot of money, and and so, uh, but but the prosperity was more than just just material prosperity. There was there was a spiritual prosperity that people could see, that people that she worked with could see, that people can see today, that hopefully they can see in all of us that that uh, that know the Lord. Because if the Lord is with us, and if you're a born-again believer, I don't care how forsaken your, uh, how God-forsaken your situation might seem, if you're a born-again believer, God is with you. And if God is with you, you're going to prosper spiritually, and you're going to prosper materially. Uh, So so, uh, no matter what the situation is. Now, go back to verse number 6. It says in verse number 6, Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. He repeats that again. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, Joseph was a handsome in form and in parents. So, so here's Potiphar. I mean, he doesn't even look at the books. He has so much trust in Joseph. He doesn't even look at the books. Uh, and and uh, all he cared about what what he was going to eat for supper when he came home from his job. And so... So uh, he put everything in Joseph's hand. But now a problem comes up. I mean, here's Joseph, and I, Joseph has got to be thinking at this point, you know, things are going pretty good. I mean, uh, I've, I've got all of this responsibility. You know, I'm a slave, but I'm really not being treated like a slave. I've got all of this responsibility. Uh, I'm making my master all sorts of money. He's treating me really well. Uh, you know, and I can see 
a possibility through this situation of God fulfilling my dreams. I mean, maybe my family, one day I'll meet, get to see my family again, and when I see my family again, they'll even have to bow to me. Even though I'm a slave, I will be a very important slave, much more important than they are in the Egyptian empire. And so, so he could see his dreams being fulfilled through this situation. But now it's gonna, he's going to have to take some steps backwards. And actually, he's taken what looks like steps backwards, but God's actually taken him forward in this journey to fulfill his dream. He's going to fulfill his dream, and he's going to be closer to filling his dream than he ever was here, uh, but, but he's going to go through another, another uh, ordeal where it's going to seem like God has forsaken him. You know, that's the way God works in our lives, too. There's sometimes when, when what we think are steps backwards are really steps forward in God fulfilling our dreams. If God's given you a dream for your life, there's going to be times where it seems like, man, it's all over. I mean, I've taken, you know, I'm going backwards. I'm not going forwards. Well, actually, in God's eyes, you very well might be going forward. And that's what happened to Joseph here. Now, the reason he's going to take a step backwards is given to us there. He was very, uh, back to verse number six. Let me find it here. Where did I leave off? Six. Oh, there we go. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That wouldn't seem like a problem, but it actually was going to be a problem for Joseph. Uh, something God knew would be a problem for Joseph. So let's see how it becomes a problem for Joseph. In verse number seven, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. So at first she just kind of flirts with him, and uh, I don't know that Joseph flirted back. More than likely he did because he had, was such a man of character, but, but uh, uh, she flirts with him, and then eventually she just, she, she just gets blunt. She says, come lie with me. Come have sex with me. And uh, at Joseph's a 17, 18-year-old. We don't know how much time has passed at this point, but he's, a, he's still a young man and, and, and uh, it, it, quite a temptation here. And you've got to wonder why she would be doing that. Uh, there's all sorts of speculation of that. If you go back to chapter, uh, I mean, go back to the first verse of this chapter, uh, it says that Potiphar was an officer of, uh, of Pharaoh. That word officer there is the Hebrew word seres, which elsewhere in the uh, Old Testament on a few occasions is translated eunuch. So some people speculate that he was a eunuch and that she had just married him for, for uh, his money and his position and, and she looked for her uh, sexual fulfillment elsewhere. And so uh, she, Joseph probably wasn't the first person that she had flirted with or tried to have sex with. And so, so they speculate that's why the, uh, that she was, you know, so flirtatious and so adulterous. But, but I don't think so. Uh, that word uh, series also means chamberlain or officer. It's, it's translated that elsewhere in the Old Testament. And, and, and uh, Hebrew words always have a broad, not always, but most Hebrew words have a, have a broad, broad meaning. And so uh, you, the best way to translate a Hebrew word is, is by context. And in context, the fact that he was married to her tells me that more than likely he wasn't a eunuch, that that's the word chamberlain or, or officer is, is, is properly translated there. Uh, but but uh, she she just was a bad woman. 
I mean, there's no doubt that, that uh, she was a bad woman, and, and uh, she, uh, Potiphar was a very important man, which made him a very busy man, and so he, he more than likely was out of the home most of the time, and, and so uh, she felt, you know, neglected, maybe, and, and uh, so she chose to look elsewhere for her love, and, and maybe that's what's happening here. All right, then pick up in verse number 8. It says in verse number 8, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. In other words, he doesn't even, my master doesn't even look at the books. And he has committed all that he has in my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife but you because you are his wife how then can i do this great wickedness and sin against god now i i i'm kind of taken back by the spiritual maturity of of joseph because he started out such a brat and now he's acting like a, a spiritually mature man here I mean, he really understands what sin is. A lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people think if I sin, you know, that's between me and who I hurt. Uh, But Joseph saw sin as sin really is. And that is when you sin against your neighbor, when you sin against your loved one, when you sin against anyone, that is a sin against God. And he he realized that. And he loved God. And he had faith in God. and and, And he saw God prosper in him, even in a very difficult place. And so... He wanted to honor God. He didn't want to dishonor God. And, and, and that's a real sign of spiritual maturity. You know your faith pretty strong when, when it hurts you to hurt God. And that's where Joseph was at with this. And so uh, he said, how can, then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke, verse number 10, uh, to Joseph, Joseph day by day. I mean, she hounded him on this thing that he did not. Heed her to lie with, lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the house were inside. So, so she sees this opportunity. They're all alone together. Uh, and she seizes on that opportunity. And, and uh, uh, look at what happens there next. But she caught it. So she takes her clothes off more than likely. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, have sex with me. But watch what he does. He left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Uh, Now, that's the right reaction whenever you're tempted by sin. Every time I'm tempted by sin, and I'm, I'm not talking so much here about sexual sin, but any sin. Whenever I'm tempted by sin, I'm always reminded of this story. I mean, I always, I I, I mean, Joseph didn't debate uh, about what he was going to do. He didn't rationalize the situation and say, you know, uh, she's not being treated right by Potiphar and and I'm a slave and and I'm not making any of this money. All of it's being made for, for Potiphar, not for me. I mean, he doesn't do any of that. What he does is he flees. And he runs. It's really the same thing. That's fleeing really fast. And I, and I think that's what we all should do whenever we're tempted with any type of sin. We're to flee that sin. That's exactly what Paul told 
Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 22, he said, flee your youthful lust. I mean, flee, run from them. Run as fast as you can from them. Not just sexual sin, run from that idol that's robbing you of your time with God and time with your family. Run from it. Get as far away from it as you possibly can. Run from that addiction that's destroying your life and destroying people around from you. Don't, don't even play with it at all. Run from it. And uh, certainly that's true for sexual temptation too. Then in verse number 13, he says, And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, how did she feel about that? Well, i got to tell you what. She felt like a woman scorned. And what's the old saying? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And so she was a scorned woman. And, and uh, when, she, when she saw that he had left and fled outside, she called the men of her house and she spoke to them saying, See, he has brought, Potiphar, has, my husband, has brought into us a Hebrew. That's the problem. It wasn't my, my overtures toward this young man. It wasn't my attempt to almost rape him. I mean, what it was, the problem was that he's a Hebrew. Now, that's the first time we see the phrase, the, the word, rather, Hebrew used to refer nationally to the Jew. And so, uh, uh, and, and it makes, it's kind of apropos that it's the very first time you hear it used, it's used in a derogatory way. And, it, and you come all the way to the 21st century and it's still used in a derogatory way. But uh, uh, she, she blames it on the Hebrew, the fact he was Hebrew, the fact he was a Jew, the fact her, her husband brought him into the house. Uh, she said, see, he brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me. Now she's just lying. And, and cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard it that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. Now, here are these servants, and I have no doubt they knew who was lying here. I mean, they knew uh, Joseph's character. Uh, they knew he was an honest man. They knew he was a loyal man. They had been around her probably for years before Joseph got there, and I'm sure that Joseph wasn't the first person she made a pass at, and so probably some of those servants had actually had sex with her, so they knew she was lying. But they take her side in this case, and uh, the reason they take her side is the same reason Joseph's brothers uh, sold him into slavery. They were jealous. They were jealous of, of Joseph, and, and uh, he was Potiphar's favorite, and so they wanted him to go down. And so, so they back up her story and, and, and come into verse number 16. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew, again, she uses that word Hebrew in a derogatory way, the Hebrew servant, whom you brought into us. And not only is she lying, she's blaming it on her husband, which is even lying more. She said, you brought, you brought him into us, uh, and he came into me to mock me, to have his way with me, literally. So what happened is I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard these words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did, did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Now, we don't know who he was angry at. Uh, it doesn't say. Uh, I mean, if, if you just, most people look at that and the way it flows, they would say he was angry with Joseph. But I wonder about that. I mean, he was angry with Joseph if he believed uh, 
the lies that his wife had told, uh, but he knew his wife. He'd been around his wife for years, and he probably had suspected her of having other affairs. He certainly could, probably had seen her wandering eye and saw her flirting with other men. And so, so uh, uh, and he knew Joseph, and he knew Joseph was faithful and he was honest. And, and uh, I don't think he thought Joseph could do such a thing. But he really doesn't have any choice here. I mean, he's in a really high position uh, in the Egyptian kingdom. And uh, he could lose that position if word got out that such a scandal had taken place in his house. And so uh, he really doesn't have much choice, uh, even though he's, I don't think he's angry at Joseph. I think he's angry at his wife. He doesn't have much choice but to take Joseph and put Joseph away. And, and so we come to verse number 20, and that's exactly what he does. Then Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him in a prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he, and Joseph was there in the prison. Now, that tells me, that's another good reason to tell me that Potiphar knew that Joseph had not done this terrible crime against him and against his God and against his wife. Yeah, I think he knew that because Potiphar had the power uh, as, as the officer of the guard to do with Joseph whatever he wanted to do with him. And I believe if he really thought Joseph had raped his wife, I believe he would have uh, had Joseph executed immediately. At the very least, he would have sent him to a maximum uh, security prison, where, where, uh, which was, was the same as a death sentence. He would have died in a few years, and, and a really slow death. And so if he wanted some kind of revenge against Joseph, he really thought Joseph had done that, he would have done one of those two options. But he doesn't do that. He puts him in the king's prison which was really like almost like a minimum security prison in that day. Uh, but, uh, you, know, you know, it was still a difficult place to be. Uh, and, and certainly Joseph might have had iron and fetters on his feet, just like we're told in Psalms 105. But, but it wasn't anything like uh, he could have faced. And I, so I, I just don't believe that, that Potiphar thought Joseph did this. All right, now let's read the last few verses here, it says, but the Lord, look at this. I mean, here's Joseph again. He's in prison. It seems like he's at a God-forsaken place. And what do we get right there at verse number uh, 14? Uh, I, mean, I mean, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand, all prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did, did there. It, it was his doing. The keeper of the prisons did not look into anything that was under uh, Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the keeper of the prison knew that the Lord was with him. And he knew that he was an honest man. He knew that he was a faithful man. He had all of those fruits of the Spirit. Uh, he knew that, that he had joy and he had peace and, and uh, he had... Uh, long-suffering and patience and, and goodness and all of those qualities. And so he trusted him. And whatever he did, now here he is, the third seemingly God-forsaken place, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now, I wouldn't be surprised that, I mean, certainly if uh, Potiphar was the officer of the guard, and uh, in charge of all of those operations, he was more than likely in charge of the uh, king's prison. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if Potiphar didn't go to, to the, the jailer and tell the, the head jailer of the king's prison that, look, this Joseph is really a good guy. I'm going to have to put him in here, but, and I'm not going to get into the details, but he's a really good guy, and you can trust this guy with anything. And he brought him there, I'm sure, in, in chains and fetters, and soon the guy let him go, and he said, you know what, I'll test what Potiphar said out, and he gives him some responsibilities, and, and, and Joseph prospers. He prospers in all he does because the Lord is with him. And this guy sees that the Lord is with him. Even though the guy doesn't know the Lord, he sees that he's different. And he sees that the Lord is with him. And, and before you know it, Joseph is running to prison. And uh, uh, right back on top of the little world he's in, in what seems to be a God-forsaken place, God is, has, has prospered him uh, in 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 just a phenomenal way. So, so, I mean, Joseph is in one terrible situation after the other. I mean, one God-forsaken place after the other. And, uh, but God was with him. And because God was with him, he couldn't help but prosper. Now, as we finish up today, I want us all to ask ourselves the question, if God could prosper Joseph, and be with Joseph in a seemingly God-forsaken place. Could he do that same thing for us? Will he do that same thing for us? Well, God's not a respecter of persons, so the, the, the correct answer to both of those questions is yes. God can and he will. There's some conditions there. I mean... Uh, we have to do something ourselves. We have to take our eyes off our situation and off this world and put our eyes upon God. That's, that's an amazing thing to me about Joseph. I mean, here was Joseph, and he had a choice. I mean, he was thrown into these terrible situations. He was thrown into these seemingly God-forsaken places. And his choice was just to to, you know, give it up, turn to the world, uh, forsake God, abandon his faith, or to just draw closer to God. And what did Joseph do? He drew closer to God. He embraced his faith. He put his eyes upon Jesus or upon the Lord. And the things of this world began to grow strangely dim. And, and the Lord was with him and the Lord prospered him. That's a choice. I'm going to tell you what, that's a choice we all have to make. Especially when we face difficult times. When we face situations where it seems God's nowhere to be found. When we're in some God-forsaken situation or some God-forsaken place. We've got to make a choice. We've got to make a choice at that point. What are we going to do? And, and certainly with the... The, face, the consequences we're facing with this coronavirus uh, might very well put us in a place like that. If it hasn't already put us in a place like that, where it seems that, that God has just you know, forsaken the United States of America, he's forsaken the whole world. And, and, and it's and it real easy to, 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 to see things that way. But we've got to make a choice. We've got to make a choice. We've got to take our focus off the situation. And put our focus 
on the Lord. And when we put our focus on the Lord, you know what we're going to find out? We're going to find out that we have not been forsaken by God. That he's been with us all along. And because he's with us, he can prosper us and he will prosper us. I'm not talking so much, I'm not doing health, wealth here, the prosperity gospel. I'm not doing that because I mean, we might lose everything we have materially. And that might be a really good thing for some of us to lose some material things. But, but if we lose things materially, God's prospering us. He's prospering us in these situations. He's, he's making us better people. He's preparing us for, for, for glory. He's making us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. And he can prosper us in the very worst of situations if we'll make that choice. And you can, we can all say, woe is me, and, and we can, we can uh, sort of abandon our faith. I, I don't believe you can lose your salvation, but you can just run off the deep end and, and back into the world and into the bottle and into all sorts of crutches and uh, entertainment and in your phone or whatever you go to to try to escape all of this. And, and the Lord's still going to be with you, but I'll tell you what, you're not going to realize it. You're gonna, it's going to seem like you're in a God-forsaken place. You want to come out of that God-forsaken place, that God-forsaken mood, that God-forsaken uh, spiritual position you've placed you in, and put your focus back on the Lord. You know, I love that little story over in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus told his disciples to take the boat and go to the other side, to go, leave Capernaum and go over to Gennesaret. And they got in the boat and they headed out into the water and a great storm blew up upon the sea and the winds began to howl and the waves began to crash against their boat. And it, it seemed like they were in a God-forsaken place. And they were greatly afraid, the Bible tells us. And then things got worse. They saw what they thought was a spirit walking on the water and they, 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 they cried out in fear. And I love what Jesus said to them. I mean, here, were they, here they were in this seemingly terrible situation, this seemingly God-forsaken situation, and this God-forsaken storm. And Jesus says to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. Hey, in a storm? Yeah, be of good cheer. Why? How can I be of good cheer? Because it is I. Do not be afraid. You know, Jesus comes to us today in this seemingly terrible, God-forsaken situation we're in. And you know what he says? Just listen. I'm sure you can hear him. He says, be of good cheer. It is I. I have not forsaken you. I will never leave or forsake you. So do not be afraid. I'm going to use all of this to test you, to try you, so that I can prosper you and make you a better person so that you can prosper others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, we are so grateful that no matter how bad the storm seems to get or how God-forsaken the situation seems to be, that we can trust that you are with us. Lord, and when we believe that by faith, when we begin to sense your presence, no matter where, where we live, what trials we're going through, Lord, and when we sense your presence, we prosper. Lord, we have peace, we have joy, we have long-suffering. Lord, we have kindness, we have goodness. We have all of this fruit, Lord, and not only that, we have you. More than anything else, we have you. So we have no reason to be afraid. Lord, I've been speaking to believers today, people who know you in a real relationship, and and Lord, sometimes we... We kind of let the situation get the best of us. And sometimes, Lord, we, we're strong in our faith. And sometimes we're kind of in between, Lord. But, but uh, we, we, we all know that these words are true. That, Lord, you won't forsake us no matter how bad these things get. But, Lord, if there's anyone listening out there today who, who doesn't know you, Lord, these words might not ring true. And, Lord, their situation is desperate and they seem to have no hope and Lord, I just ask today that, that like you appeared to those disciples on water, you appear to them, and Lord, in a spiritual or real way, Lord, in a way that they know you're there, that you offer them your gift of salvation, Lord, that they hear you knocking on their door, of their, on the door of their soul, and they open that door, and today becomes the day of their salvation. Father, I know that one of your purposes in all of this has to be that, that you want to see people saved. And, Lord, we long for that, too, and we pray for that, and we just ask that, Lord, you do use these difficult trials that we're going through to, to bring people to Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy so that, Lord, they know and sense and feel that they've not been forsaken. Lord, you can only... Only be under the wings of God if we choose to be under the wings of God, Lord. So I just ask that, that you, you touch everyone who's listening that's not saved today and let this be the day of their salvation, that they come to you. For all of us, Lord, that know you, we just thank you for, for the assurance that, that, that we have that uh, you'll be through us with us through all of this storm. We just thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.